Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. So we're still continuing with the issue of uh, firstborn sonship and we're dealing specifically with inheritance of the firstborn. Okay, And uh, we read a verse, I'll reread it again in Galatians chapter 4 and verses 1 to 7. Galatians 4, 1 to 7. Now I say, so long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So very importantly, verse 1 tells me that even if I am an heir of all things, and the legal owner of all things. Okay? So the word owner is, is used here. I own everything. But if I am a child, I will differ no more than a slave in that same household. Okay? I can be in the will of my father, having legal access to everything, legitimately the owner of all his estate. But if I in, in my sonship exhibit an immaturity, what is given to me is held back or deferred until I come into maturity. right? And so until I come into maturity, what there needs to be is two things. Guardians and managers that the Father sets over me until a set date. The word date is used here, a time period. Until a set date, uh, which implies I exit immaturity, come into maturity and access all that the Father has, has given to me. Now in context, let's just read verse 3. So also we, while we were children, we were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of time, that's the date set by the Father, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those that were under the law, that we might receive what? The adoption as sons, not slaves. Because a slave has got no inheritance in the father of the house's estate. Only a son does. So it says, if the child is immature, the child doesn't differ no more than a slave. And a slave has got no claim to his father's estate, only a son. Although the child is a son, he doesn't access it because of immaturity. Until a date set by the father in context the writer paul here is saying when we were under the law the law of moses the ceremonial legalistic ritualistic requirements that the law laid upon us we could never enter into maturity that law was powerless to perfect sons to access their inheritance but there was a date set by the father called the fullness of time god sent forth his son born of a woman, died under the law to redeem those that were under the law, break the power of slavery and bring them into and bring them into sonship. So those of us who accept and say yes to the Lord, we receive Christ and what does He do? He sends His Spirit into our hearts by which we cry now, Abba, 
father. So therefore we are no longer slaves, but sons with a legal, legitimate and valid claim to the inheritance of our, of our father. So verse 6 says, because you are sons, God sent forth his spirit, the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, which was equated to an immature child. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, you are an heir through, you are an heir through God. Right? The purpose of the law was to reveal sin. Say it again. The purpose of the law was to reveal sin. God instituted the law of Moses. And the law is a, a, is a complex subject. Dr. Segi is dealing with the subject quite intensely now at his dialogues. I was there on, on, on Thursday. He also dealt with it in part at the apostolic school. That when, you just, when you say the law, you must always distinguish what law. Because the law had three parts to it. Essentially, there, there was the moral law, there was the ceremonial law, and the civil law. The ceremonial and civil law are often lumped together. So we distinguish really between two parts, the moral law and the ceremonial law. The moral law is the Ten Commandments. That's the law of God. The ceremonial law is the law of Moses. The law of God has not been abolished. Right? You still have to obey the Ten Commandments. Right? Except the Sabbath, which is given specific expression in the New Covenant. Right? And we'll find some time to go through the details fantastic fantastic study that dr Segi is doing uh presently right the moral law still applies in the new testament in fact the moral law that was given the law of god not the law of moses moses the law of moses is called the ceremonial law with all the ritualistic requirements right that law was abolished in christ but the law of god is maintained in christ and by grace we come into salvation by accepting Christ as Lord and Savior. We have got the, the, the authority, the power to call ourselves sons of God. His Spirit is in us, by which we cry, Abba, Abba Father. And now, by grace, then, we are empowered to keep and uphold that which people under the old covenant could not keep even though the requirements for us are greater and more stringent. So if you're living in Moses' time, if you committed adultery, it meant you were caught in the act of, of sleeping with another man, uh, husband or, or wife or woman or man, depending. Okay. But in the New Testament, Jesus said, if you simply look at a woman and lust in your heart, you just as. So the moral law is still maintained, but it's elevated but those in under so-called grace are more empowered to fulfill what people in the old covenant could not right because they the law was given to reveal to men that they were powerless to keep it except a savior comes to empower them right so the purpose of the law was to reveal sin right so it, it's very important for us, contextually in Galatians 4, contextually, um, the law was the master, the law was the, the guardian and the manager given by the Father, right, to perfect the people of God. 
But that law was powerless to do. And it failed. Right? But, you know, law still persists. The Bible speaks about the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Will set us free from the law of sin and death. We are still people of law. Right? The present hyper-grace teaching purports that we live this licentious, laissez-faire life where anything goes and God will forgive anything. No, we are people of high morality, circumspect living. Not so? Amen? Amen. Right? We are people of rectitude and practical righteousness. Right? Why are we empowered by grace um, to uphold that standard? There's a verse in Titus. It says, And the grace of God has appeared to all men. And it teaches us to deny ungodliness. Or it instructs us to deny ungodliness some hyper grace teachers are saying if you're under grace basically you can your license to do anything and everything because god will always forgive you no that verse in titus says if if the grace of god appears to you man all men that grace will instruct you to deny ungodliness so the presence of grace helps me to say no to sin the presence of grace doesn't give me license to sin Grace empowers me to overcome it. Not so? Amen? Can I get an amen? amen. Right? It empowers me to, to overcome that which in an Old Testament context uh, I was powerless to uphold. Right? But for the presence of grace. Then, think with me. If I'm under this grace in the new covenant, having received Christ, I'm his son, his spirit in me crying, Abba Father, I start to, in that culture, to manifest a life of powerlessness to overcome sin. Subtly what I'm saying is, I'm subscribing to an old covenant era. And I'm, I'm, I'm bound to what Galatians 4 calls elemental things that hold me in, that hold me in bondage. Then I'm no more I'm no longer a son that has access to his inheritance. I'm behaving slavishly to the elemental things of this world that I should be able to overcome. Amen? That I should be able to overcome. So long as I exhibit slavish tendencies, I differ no more than a child, it says, who is in the house, legally owning everything, but not practically appropriating anything because you differ no more than a slave. The problem is, this child has got to mature. The child has got to, has got to grow up, right? The child has got to grow up. The law was powerless to shape us or to shape Christ in us. As a manager and a guardian, it was powerless to do that. So the principle of manage your guardian in Galatians 4 is any mechanism in God that is designed to shape the formation of Christ in me to full maturity. That being the case then, it could also apply to spiritual fathering. So God will place me as a manager or guardian over you then. I'm not the law, but I'm talking about the principle of, of this. God will place a manager or guardian over you, but let me just tell you, left to yourself, you will, not leave, you will not reach maturity. God has designed it so that the child, before he comes to fullness, has got to need a managing or guardian principle over his life 
that will perfect him into mature sonship from immaturity to, to the mature state. Right? So I believe managers and guardians then could also apply to spiritual fathers that do this. Okay? Spiritual fathers perfect the nature of Christ in you. Uh, at least that is what we are designed to do. We represent the Father to you. And our sole purpose is to educate you in God's ways. Show you areas of deficiency in your life. Um, let me just say this. You need a view from above. Left to yourself, you don't know where you are. You need an exter- And not just another outside objective view. This is not just another opinion. This is an aerial, heavenly, divine perspective of where you are. And you need that element, that mechanism to unveil to you where you are and where you should be and also to empower you by instruction in the word so you can get to where you are in Christ. Not so? If I did not engage Thamo the way I do, I, will not, I will, would have never have known there are gaping character flaws or areas of deficiency in my life that I need to work on. Right? I need that principle. Why? I want my inheritance. But if I remain immature in certain respects, there are certain things that will always be held back away from me. Amen? So the demand is to mature. Repeat after me. The demand is to mature. Right? And this is so serious to me now. Um, I really felt God's presence in an extraordinary way um, uh, throughout the day, um, throughout the week basically, but especially today and that morning when I woke up early, one of the days in the week. And um, the Lord is saying, I'm about to give you management of things. Because the Lord was saying to me, I've discerned a growth in your level of, of, of maturation. Right? So don't abort the process now by reverting back. You know, the issue with the, with the Galatian church, they reverted back to a, ju- ju- a Judistic culture that they came out from. Right? The law. If you, know, if you know the book very well, for those of you that are students, six chapters, Paul deals with this thing. Who has bewitched you, he says? Oh, foolish Galatians. You know he calls them foolish Galatians in one, one verse? He says, who has bewitched you? Oh, foolish Galatians. You've begun in the spirit. You've now been seeking to make perfect by the, by, by the flesh. Okay? And, and the Lord was saying to me, don't stop now. Now is not the time to revert back to a, a former inaccurate uh, position. Otherwise, you've covered so much ground, now is not the time to fail. Hmm? Now is not the time to revert back to a former inaccurate position. So, you are born from above. You are a son of God through the new birth experience. You are God's son, legally, technically. Right? You have a valid right to call yourself a son of God. When you said yes to the Lord and you accepted him as your Lord and Savior. It's like the seed by which you were born again, which is what? The word of God. We've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the word. In other words, the seed contains the DNA of the fullness of all that is to mature in you. Not so. So when I am born again, I receive by the word that was preached to me, the very DNA, the essential nature of God deposited within me. 
That, however, does not presuppose that I'm mature in God. I've just started on a journey and all of the fullness of the measure and the stature of Christ is latent in me. It's present there already. That's why Matthew 11, I think it's 27, uh, and Galatians 4 uh, say something to the effect, it was God's pleasure to reveal His Son in me. Okay? To reveal His Son in me. Son is already in you. He just must be progressively revealed. All that He is must become you. First John 4, 4 says, And little children, you are of God. Tell your neighbor, you are of God. So whatever God is, it's, and the word of is ek, you come out. So we all proceed out from God, so we have the same nature as God. But the challenge is, the son is given, the child is born, but the son is given. Right? So when we start this, this journey as newborn babes in God, uh, we start a process of development and of maturation into the fullness of the thing into which we have been ushered into. Okay? And that is called maturity. Full maturation. Otherwise, I really want to encourage you. Uh, I'll go a bit slow through this, because I realize it's so, so, so important. Do you know why? You see, the verse that we often use for the series, first born Sancho, Romans 8, 28 and 29. Right? We know that all things work together for Good to those that love God, to those that are called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He also predestined that um, they might be conformed to the image of what? Now, what must you be conformed to? Quote with me. We must be conformed to the image of His Son. And this is a comedy. That He might become the firstborn in Many brethren, right? So, question. What is your conformity unto? The image of His Son. The word Son there is Uios. It's not Neon, Neon Niskos. It's not Technon, Paidon, or Nepios. Now, we are branding this term about, I'm a firstborn, I'm a firstborn. Yes, you are. But He, the firstborn, the standard to which He wants to be formed as firstborn in you is a standard of a mature son. The firstborn son is a mature son. So we can, and please let me encourage you, you are firstborn. Remind someone next to you, you are firstborn son. But unless this company of firstborn sons matures, what you are positionally you will never experience practically unless you grow up. And again, the, you are set the standard. It's like, this is the target. This is the thing you are aiming for. The standard to which you conform is the image of His Son. Uios, mature, perfect Son. Okay? Right? Always keep that in mind. The firstborn Son is a Uios Son. That is the culture he wants to, the standard he wants to erect in every single one of us. And if we are playing here, Nepios, Pidon, Technon, Neoniskos, right? We are, and let me just say, these stages of development, 
some of them are powerful. We look at them in more greater detail in a moment. But you have to seek seriously to come to this place. And this is not about chronos or chronological time. This is, doesn't mean to say that if you've been long serving the Lord that you're Urias. No. I know some long-standing Christians that are still Nepios. In fact, I know some so-called fathers in the Lord, leaders of congregations, that are still Nepios. Hmm? This is not a function of chronological time. How long you've been saved, how long you've been in the Lord. I'm, uh, let me just tell you, you can develop in your stage of development so rapidly. It's all dependent upon willingness, cooperation, and obedience to God. Right? Willingness, cooperation, and obedience to God. Now, I've, I've listed some, some aspects of each, and I've extended the note quite vastly, of each stage. And you can isolate very quickly where you are in terms of, you, of your development. And my appeal to us, my, my challenge to myself is, Firstborn son standard is Uios. That's the measure that must be. He wants to be conformed, to which we must be conformed, to which he wants to be formed in us is the measure of the Uios son. Okay? And so always keep your sights there. And as a, as, a, as a motivation for you, as we go through the, each stage, if I mention a characteristic here, and you see it evidence in your life. What you should know, what you, what should register in your heart is, I'm somewhere here. Hence, I'm right now not prepared adequately enough to access all that God wants to give me. Because only a you, your son, gets to administer his father's business. God is a very very wise man. He will not give kingdom affairs and significant aspects of jurisdictional government to someone that is immature. Okay? So it's very, very, very important. Now, um, again, um, I was going to quote Sam Solon. Nepios, uh, what I've done on the side here, on this chart, I've put from various age groups that would depict each stage from a Jewish cultural perspective. These, these ages next to each one, they're all in your new note, they're not in that note. Um, like a nepios would be an unborn babe. Also the term brephos is akin to ne nepios. First Peter 2, 2 as newborn babes, newborn is brephos, uh, a term brephos. Um, it also refers to an unborn child. So and it's akin to Nepios. So an infant, anywhere from between zero, naught years old, to two years old. Then Piedon, which is the next phase, would be anything from two years old to ten years old, a little toddler developing. Technon would be anything from ten years old to seventeen years old. Neaniskos would be anything from seventeen to, to thirty. And Uyos would be anything from forty plus. Although... Jesus was 30 when the father said to him, My, this is my Uios, in whom I am. Well, please. When Jesus was 12, when Mary, remember Mary called him and Joseph, while he was teaching, the, the, the Pharisees and scribes asking questions, listening, 
She called him Technon. She said, son, Technon. Right? Yeah, at that stage he was 12 years old. She said, Technon. At 30, the father said, Uios. What happened in Jesus' world? Right? In Luke 2, he's called Anepios, the babe. Right? He, in his, in his own development, displayed how that he grew progressively. And only when the father, listen carefully, this is an internal knowing. And I've, I've sensed this knowing recently. I've sensed, I've heard the word, the father say, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. I reacted to a situation this week. I can't tell you the details, which is personal. I reacted to a situation today, just, I mean, uh, not today, in the week, just as how the Lord himself would have done so. But left to my own humanistic thinking and my own carnality, I would have acted in the flesh. So when the situation was presented to me, immediately my mind, how would the Lord react to this? So my flesh, my natural reasoning, my humanistic thinking died. And ran off the spiritual man, arise and respond to it. And it was a hard thing to do. And I went at great lengths to do what I did. In any case, when I did it, guess what? When I put my head on the pillow at night, I heard an echo in my spirit. Well done, my UER son. Right? Maybe a few years ago, I wouldn't have reacted like that. Because I wouldn't have been there. Right? And let me just say this. A ringing, a reckoning, a witness in your spirit. You will know in certain instances your reactions, how you act, how you behave, how you even think. You will either hear or not hear the echo of the voice of your heavenly father. You know the father said about Jesus, this is my son. Every you we are son has got to come to the place where he knows that he knows, that he knows beyond any shadow of doubt that he has pleased the Father in his life, in his behavior, in his thoughts, in his responses, in his representation of the Father. That nobody can teach you. It's a witness from the Holy Spirit in your spirit that indeed you are his son that he loves and in whom he is well pleased. Ask your neighbor, is God well pleased with you? Hmm? So the Nepios son, the Nepios son, let me just read this again. This is Sam Solon's quote from his website, which we are using by his permission. Nepios is an infant, a baby, not old enough to speak or, or function, this infant of God's house will make sounds of selfish whining concerning his own provision and protection. Think of a baby, natural baby. What do they only want? They're hungry. The nappy must, that's why I think nappyos. There are many Christians that are nappyoses, right? Big adults with, with, babe, with nappies in the spirit, right? It's, it's like everything's about me. I don't care about anybody else. It's me, my needs. I'm hungry, I cry, they jump. These big people in my world, my parents. Right? You are the center of, of, of focus. It's about your protection, your preservation, 
your provision, of your needs. Right? If you are still so self-absorbed and self-consumed, you know where you are as a son. Still an epios. In fact, one way to break then out of this is to start thinking outside of yourself and focusing on the needs of others. Right? Focusing on the needs of others. Okay? So stop, tell your neighbor, stop the selfish whining. Stop the selfish whining. An area that is akin to this is the area of complaint. Murmur. Right? I'm at the place now, and I've shared this with Renee, I don't complain about nothing or anything. Literally. Right? I don't want to be complaining even about something valid. I'll mention it as a concern, but even when I raise it, there's no emotion in my voice. There's no anger. I'll mention it if I have to, but it's always redemptive and always in, in love. Right? No more complaints, no more murmur, no more whining. I often say complaint is the substitute in the soul for what should be a groan in the spirit. Whenever you murmur, your soul man, unrenewed, is voicing a voice that should really be a groan of concern that emanates from your spirit. Right? And I'll do a whole study on complaint later, later on. Right? You know, Miriam was, was struck with, with leprosy when she complained about a decision Moses took in marrying his African wife. Right? Read, read the account in the book of Numbers, Exodus, I think. Right? Aaron also complained. God dealt with him. Right? Never ever, and it, it's proof where you are if you are prone to complaint. Proof where you are. Okay? Meeting is very silent tonight. Hmm? Right? Excuse me, but I'm going to be more focused in fathering you. And if I hear a complaint from you, I'm going to correct you immediately. Say, so, no, 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 no. I can see where you are in the spirit. That's not depictive of one who is mature. Amen? Amen? You're my sons in the Lord. And my responsibility to form the nature of Christ in, in you. Amen? So tell your neighbor, it's illegal now to complain. No more complaining. No more complaining. Someone even said to me recently, a, a complaint welled up, and I made up an excuse for the person for which they were complaining to silence them. May, I said, maybe it's because. So don't let it be an issue in your soul. Be free, be uncluttered. Just clear the landscape of your spirit. Amen? Isn't it good to be free? Amen? Huh? I'm telling you, if you use your voice for complaint, your voice will have no space for spiritual authority where you're going to have to address the things that are necessary. Because it's too cluttered with the wrong things. Amen? So no more complaints. Amen? That's a separate thing. I don't know how we got there. The child is in the house and is an heir but not mature enough and has no right to inheritance. The child is easily influenced by various circumstances, teachings, and schemes of men. I'll show you just now. He's given to jealousy quarreling, divisions and boastings. He's in desperate need of tutors and guardians to agree with the spirit and unveil 
his or her, his or her maturity. Okay, I've reordered your notes. Let me just go through my points and then I'll, I'll, I'll proceed to the next level. So, I mean, Dr. Sam Solon has given us quite an adequate description in a paragraph form there of some of the tendencies and characteristics attendant with this Nepia stage of infant sonship. This is like really infant sonship, right? No one's going to administrate anything significant at this level, right? Now, firstly, um, you have an inheritance only positionally but not practically because the heir is still a child, right? The heir is still a child. Secondly, and you got the reference in Ephesians 4 in your notes, the child is easily influenced by various circumstances, teachings, and schemes of, of men. And in Ephesians 4, I want to read it again because we read it last week. It's on the record. You can listen to the previous uh, session. In fact, let's just read it for repetition. Ephesians 4. Because I need to stress these things. 11. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers what is that the fivefold ministry right fivefold ministry why is the fivefold ministry given verse 12 tells us for the equipping of the saints for the work of service and for to the building up of the body of Christ right until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to what? A mature or teleos man, a mature man to the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. And as a result, we are no longer what? The word children there is nepios. We cannot be nepioses. We cannot be children. So what is the characteristic of a child? Yeah, one who is tossed here and there by waves of waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, the craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, this nepios is prone to be deceived by error, false doctrine, by the wave and the wind of false doctrine. He has not submitted himself fully to the effect of fivefold ministry designed to mature him. Right? And hence also, he does not embrace truth and has not developed a love for truth. So when he is presented with error, he's prone to and susceptible to fall because the standard of truth has not yet been erected within him. Also, he has not developed in his love for the body of Christ, right? He even cannot speak the truth in love. He might speak the truth, but not couched in, in love. So what I've done is, I just put five steps. 
What is the needed action to get out of this, this phase? Number one, be exposed to valid and authentic fivefold ministry. Number two, be assimilated into the oneness of the body of Christ. Begin to understand that you are part of the body and it's one. And you're an essential part of that body. Because Ephesians talks about, um, it talks about that you are part of the body, right? The body of Christ. And it says every part supplies its joint and the body makes increase of itself in love by which every joint supplies. So you've got to understand that you are not independent, but that you're interdependent with your brothers and sisters in a family called the house of God. The nepios, you know children are always so um, self-centered. Right? It's all, the, the whole world revolves around them. Right? But, so the nepios must consciously break out of that and see himself as part of a greater whole and start to think corporately as opposed to privately or individualistically. Then, sorry, I'm lost in my notes here. Thirdly, he must begin to grow in love for other brothers and sisters in the body. To grow and develop in love. He must also embrace truth. Everyone say truth. Say doctrine. Doctrine will form the nature of Christ in you. Okay? Uh, Dr. Thamo has been stressing this. I listened to his teaching last week in Santon. And his sermon was titled, entitled, The Love for Doctrine. Dr. Segi um, on Thursday morning spoke about the love for doctrine as well. And doctrine is boring. Right? Right now you're listening to doctrine. Not some feel-good motivational sermon that peps you up. Right? What it does is, it brings truth to you, configures your spirit, empowers you to live successfully out there in the world. It forms the nature of Christ with, within you. And so you must embrace truth that forms the stature of Christ within. And fifthly, commit to and declare this truth. Commit to the truth and start to declare it in a spirit of love. Amen? In a spirit of love. In fact, love permeates the development in love, permeates every stage of sonship development. And I'll, sh I'll demonstrate this to you. One key I can give you is, if you can learn to perfect love, you have perfected God. If you have learned, can learn to perfect love, you have perfected God himself. And you would have developed in your sonship. Okay? There abides faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is, is love. What is God? God is, God is love. And you are of God, little children. If I can master love, I have mastered the divine. And then in 1 Corinthians 3, you have it in your notes, 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 1 to 3, there's another evidence of a nepios position. And that is, this is that the son is given to jealousy, quarreling, divisions, and boastings. Right? And these are carnal or of the flesh. In 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 3, it says, Brethren, I could not speak to you as, what? As spiritual. Now, do you recall a few sessions ago, we did the spiritual man 
right? The carnal man and the natural man. Remember those, those distinctions? Paul says, yeah, I couldn't even speak to you like spiritual people. Why? What, what issue makes a people carnal and not spiritual? He says, I could not speak to you as spiritual, but as to men of the flesh. Some versions say, but like carnal men. Then he says, what? Infants in Christ. He who is carnal is what? An infant in Christ. A nepios. So Paul is saying, I can't speak to you as spiritual. Because you are carnal. And what makes you carnal is your, is your infant position. Now he describes carnality not in terms of sinful or sins of the flesh as we know them. Here's how he describes it. I gave you milk to drink, but not solid food, because you are not able to receive it. Even now you are not able, he says. Why? For you are, everyone say, still fleshly. Say, still carnal, some versions. And how does he describe a fleshly or still fleshly position? He says, if there's jealousy, strife, that is, fightings and tensions in relationships, if there's jealousy, if there's strife among you, are you not still fleshly? And let me just say this, how the Lord's going to test you now about this. Who's ever been jealous of a brother or sister? Okay, you won't admit it now, but it's fine. We know, we've all been there, right? And you know what the Lord's going to do? The Lord's going to make your brother prosper so much to check where you are in the scheme of things. Right? Maybe the Lord will test me by making another pastor down the road prosper and get his building before we do. How will I deal with that? God has a way of showing you where you are. Right? And how is your internal response when the thing you long for for years, somebody else gets it so easily? Right? And you can judge and test your own reactions to decide where you are in your maturity in God. And I always say this. If I respond with a jealous response, then sometimes I'll have to say, hey, what's wrong? I must correct myself. I don't even want to get there. If in the moment it happens, my instinctive response is joy and happiness for my brother, then I know I've overcome. If there's still tendencies towards it, it's a residue within me that gives indication to me that I'm still not entirely where I should be. Hmm? So tell you never be happy for me. Don't be jealous. Eh? It's amazing to me how this thing crops up. And you know what? You will know it in your mind. I don't know why I'm stressing this. Didn't plan this. Some of you are battling with this. In your mind, you might not even said it, but you are thinking it. How come she is blessed? How come they are blessed? That proves to me you are still fleshly, still carnal, still an infant in Christ. Forget about inheritance. How can we ever hope to... Remember this, this one? We want all of this. We are an heir of all things, the world, the nations, the world, salvation, eternal life, immortality, the kingdom, all the Abrahamic promise and blessing. We want all this. 
but we can't handle our brother prospering. God is saying, forget this if you cannot master these things. Hmm? Right? So I, I perceive great victory. Do you know what? I think it's uh, uh, Psalm 20. Uh, I gave this to Roy at the Haven as a prophecy on, 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 on Tuesday. The Lord says, the Lord will not forget your offerings. All the offerings you gave and you're sowing. There's a verse there that says, and the Lord will not forget your, your offerings. And may the God of Jacob answer you in the day of your, of your trouble. May he send you help from the sanctuary and help from Zion. Then the next verse says, and we will sing for joy over your victory. In other words, when you're victorious, we're all happy. Because your victory is a victory for the house. Amen? If one of us uh, achieves some milestone, guess what? They should be rejoicing in the house. Amen? This culture, this house, must not even smell of jealousy. But in, in, the moment there's advancement in the workplace with one of us, or someone's got a new car, new house, or we can see in one of us this spiritual formation taking place and a gift coming to greater proficiency or being used in a particular way. There should be joy in our hearts, one for another. For by that we demonstrate we are not infants in Christ. You know, the sad thing for me is this. Paul said, I can't even speak to you like spiritual people because you are still fleshly. That means he wanted to offload certain things. But their state prohibited him from releasing it. Right? I'm telling you, brother, the moment we can deal with these things, you will even see a new level of revelation and the speaking that God will bring to us. Right? So we are not still fleshly. I'm asserting it. Randolph, you are not still fleshly. Why? I know in your life there's no relational tensions. I love everyone, free with everyone. I don't hate anybody, especially those that sin against me and disappoint me. I show them more love, more prayer, go out of my way to demonstrate how loving I am. Why? I'm a Uios, not a Nepios. A Nepios is prone to tantrums. You know the, 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 the colloquial? Throw the, what, the toys off the cot? It's like a depictive of a little child that can't get his way. Wah, wah. That must not be a feature of this house. Tell your neighbor, we want maturity. I demand of you maturity in this season. I'm not preaching anymore. I'm demanding maturity. Right? Paul said, preach the word to Timothy. Reprove, rebuke with all long-suffering and patience. Right? Uh, even Paul said, I'll read it later on, to the Corinthians. I think he said... Um, in your understanding, be mature. It was a command. Be mature. It was, it was an expectation the apostle laid on a congregation. He said, be mature. Right? Elevate in your thinking. Right? It's time to access the things to which God has given you. Great prophecies we read for this local house, don't we? Every prophet that comes here picks up something in the atmosphere. There's a significant destiny. Right? I'm even afraid to bring another prophet here. Huh? But we must, 
You know, if we're not exposed to valid prophetic ministry, we will never be formed into the image. Prophets are given for that purpose, like apostles and the others are. Amen? But I'm saying, Lord, how long will you keep telling us what we have and we're not experiencing it? How long? You're saying, I've given you so much, but you can't steward them because you are not, have not reached the standard. The standard is conformity to the firstborn standard. Romans 8, 28 and 29. Conformity to the image of His Son in us. That He must be the firstborn Son in us. Amen. So, brother, this is very serious. Eh? Very serious. Think about it like this. That I would, if I were you, I would maybe make, I, I will do it for you. Put all these criteria on one page. So you do a checklist of yourself. Right? Is there jealousy in your life? Moira, let me use you as an example. See, Moira, is there jealousy? Is there strife? Is there complaint? Is there murmuring? Is there selfish whining? Right? Are you easily seduced by false doctrine, false teachers? Do you love the truth? When you speak even the truth, are you speaking truth in love or out of anger or, or malice? Right? Then you will know where you are. And if you've not subscribed to those um, the, 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 the God's way of doing things. In your mind, you must always tell yourself, well, my, my inheritance is just being held back until I overcome these things. Tell your neighbor, frightening. Frightening. And you know, I was not, not frightening in the sense of we are scared and fearful. Maybe frightening is not the right word. Say sobering, rather. Sobering. It's a sobering thought that, Lord, I'm not going to steward the thing you promised. Because the heir is still a child. The son is given. child is born. child hasn't grown up. Right? Tell your neighbor, serious. Serious things. Serious. Verse 4, verse 3. You are still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, or you are not still fleshly, and, the, and Paul says you are walking like mere men. You are like just another person in the world, with no access to things eternal. And then the next verse he says, For one says, I am of Paul, and another I am of Apollos. Are you not mere men? Now you must read the following verses in the same passage. What happened in the Corinthian church, listen carefully, there was um, loyalties that were expressed in the people to various grace carriers or apostles that were used in the city of Corinth. Right? Some expressed loyalty to Paul, others to Peter. Peter's name is mentioned. Cephas, Peter. Some to Apollos. And there, were, there was like a clever group there that says, no, it's not any of them. Ours is to Christ. <laughs> Paul, puts, Paul, puts, Paul, Paul, put, Paul puts Christ's name among the group of men listed there. What was happening? There was divisions in the city church based upon loyalties to different spiritual fathers. Right? And Paul says, but who is Paul? Who is Apollos? We're just men, vessels that God has used. And he says, did Paul die for you? 
He says, I, I thank my God I baptize none of you. Except um, one, of the, one of the brothers he mentions there. Paul was saying, don't revere me as your leader to the place where my role in your life eclipses the preeminence of Christ in your life. Because people are more loyal sometimes to spiritual leaders than to Christ. And be careful that your loyalty to a specific spiritual father does not cause you in your heart to marginalize another valid, authentic spiritual father. Because that, that was the Corinthian problem. There was a subtle division and disunity caused within the city because of loyalties based on from one father to another. Okay? Very important. You know, who was, who was John Mark's spiritual father? Peter. First Peter 5.13 says, And John Mark, my son. Remember? Second Timothy 4, Paul writes to his son, who is his like-minded son? Timothy. And he says, Timothy, only Luke, the writer of the gospel and the writer of the book of Acts, the doctor. He says, Timothy, only Luke is with me. Everybody else has forsaken. He says, when you come, do your best to come before the winter. The cloak, the jacket, that I left with Troas, at, uh, uh, with Carpus at Troas, please bring that with you. And he says this. Oh, and please bring John Mark. Why? Why must my son bring the son of another apostle? He said, bring John Mark. Why? Because that son relates to another spiritual father. He is profitable to me for the ministry. Can you see in their culture, even spiritual fathers were not so territorial over their sons that they couldn't release their sons to be of benefit outside of their sphere. And in the Corinthian problem, the guys were saying, no, you with Paul, no, I'm with Apollos. Oh, you with Apollos, no, I'm with Peter. Then there was this clever group, no, we with none of them, we with Christ. We don't need a spiritual father. Okay? Can you see this? I'm saying all of this. Everyone say maturity. maturity. You see, I'm raising this, I'm raising this. Because I want everyone in this house to respect Dr. Segi. Thamo is our spiritual father. But guess what? Why do I go to his forums every Thursday? I'm, I'm committed to my spiritual father in the person of Thamo Naidu and to the mandate that he carries. Dr. Segi is, in my view, an, an apostle raised up in the city, in the city, that, has, that is playing a significant role for stewarding God's purposes in the city. Right? And Thamo has given us his blessing to do this, to support other valid, authentic, expressions of the apostolic in our sphere right and you know i hadn't been for a few weeks because of traveling and i went back on thursday and my week was quite hectic this week you know why i went at great personal cost great cost of my time I had so much to do on that day i prioritized the city gathering right i prioritized the city gathering and beyond being blessed by the word what I really enjoyed was just seeing everybody again. Touching base with the sons of other apostles in the, in the city. What am I doing? I'm demonstrating the fact that I don't think childishly just to myself or my sphere. I'm demonstrating that I will make even um, sacrifices to benefit the purposes of God attendant with our, with our city. That is why, for example... 
We will support the open in three weeks' time. Right? Other apostles are mandating it, but it's, it's like our vision. Why? Because with it, it's, it's, there's, there's divine purpose attendant with it. Amen. So can you see? No more nepios. Tell your neighbor, get out of your nappies. Alright? Get out of your nappies. So then, let me just wrap this up. What is the needed action from this verse for the nepios, for the baby in Christ? Number one, jealousy and strife must be deliberately overcome by sincere love for the brothers. Jealousy and strife must be deliberately overcome by sincere love for the brothers. One spiritual father must be viewed in proper perspective and context. Spiritual fathering exists to mature you as a divine son of God. Your spiritual father is not God. Tell your neighbor, Randolph is not God. I am not God. I will never must take the place of Christ in your life. Right? Then we're going into serious, serious idolatry. I'm just a representative of the Heavenly Father. I function on behalf of Father God. And although you must love me, honor me, respect me, etc. You must love your spiritual fathers in the Lord. Honor, respect, revere, uh, etc. Support practically, spiritually, through prayer and in other ways. But they must never be idolized to a place where the preeminence of Christ in the spiritual son is undermined or even displaced. Right? So, Naomi is the spiritual father to Ruth, the spiritual son. Naomi's job is to bring Ruth into intimacy with Boaz. Who is Boaz? Christ. The relationship between Ruth and Boaz produces Obed, the son that produced Jesse, who became the father of David. It's not the union between the spiritual father and the spiritual son that produced Obed. It's the relationship between the father, the son and Christ that produced something on the earth that transformed the history of humankind forever. Because from that line, the Messiah would ultimately come. But you cannot discount the role of Naomi. Because the role of the spiritual father is to bring the son to that place. Right? Put bluntly, I am purely a means to a greater end. Amen? But respect the means. <laughs> Don't lose focus and, 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 and sight as to the ultimate, as to the ultimate objective. Okay? And then, like I've said, I'm just reading my notes just to make the point because this is recorded not just only for your consumption, but for global consumption. It'll be placed on the website soon. One's commitment to a specific spiritual father must not become so a divisive element that it prohibits you from supporting other apostles or spiritual fathers who are functioning in your city. Right? Like I've said, John Mark was Peter's spiritual son, but he was called by Paul uh, to come to him because he was profitable to him for his ministry. Okay? Spiritual fathers and sons must not become so territorial over each other that this becomes prohibitive to God's purposes in the region. Okay? 
When we master these things, you know what we are doing, brethren? We are demonstrating that we are not infants in Christ. We are thinking maturely. Right? We are thinking as mature individuals in God. Amen? I know where you are. If you can, let me, let me say it like this. If you prove only faithfulness to me and not to the purpose of the Lord in the city, it's like you haven't stepped up in your maturity to understand that God's purposes for Durban and for our local house is not just located here within these four walls. It is a far bigger thing. And God is using other valid uh, uh, grace carriers in our city and people to, to steward these things. Right? And so what do I do as your father in the Lord? I demonstrate to you my priority of that by my, my support of these things. So follow me as I follow, as I follow Christ. Amen. Then, okay, page, I don't know what page you're on. My pages are all now different um, to yours. But just quickly, what I want to do is... Um, let me read 1 Corinthians. You got 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right? 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8 to 11. Yeah, this, I want to focus on this quickly because it's so, so important, brethren. Love never fails. If there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. Who got the gift of prophecy here? Michael O'Carroll has. Anybody else? Renee has. Anybody else? Don't be... Modest about what you have. If you have the gift of prophecy, pick your hand up. <laughs> okay. So, well, I'm, I'm making a point. So Paul says, okay, there are gifts of prophecy. Guess what? Carol, your gift of prophecy will be done away with. It's got an expiry date attached to it. That's all Paul is saying. And not just prophecy, any gift in the, of the nine gifts of the, of the Holy Spirit. Not so? So, but what does he do in context? This is what he says. For we know in part and we do what? We prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. Then he says this. Oh, by the way, when I was a nepios, a child, when I was a nepios, a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child speak thought and reasoned calculated as a child but when i became a man i did away with childish things now we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face now i know in part but then i will know fully as i also have been fully known now Faith, hope, love, abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Think about it, brethren. Paul is saying in verse 13, faith, hope, and love, and love are going to be around forever. But the greatest is love. What will happen to prophecy? Prophecy, it will. It's coming a day, it has an expiry day. So what you should be focused upon as a priority in your development should it be gifts or should it be the nature of love? Love because that's going to be eternal. That's never going to pass away. It's the greatest of all the three abiding spiritual virtues. 
That's never going to pass away. But let me just say this. And he says, for when we prophesy, we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, that which is in part will be done away with. The perfect in this context is the nature of God, which is love. When that comes, the imperfect, the prophetic, will be done away with. That does not discount the prophetic. What Paul is not saying, that to prophesy is not important. Right? And remember last week I shared, I shared with you, any expression or use of a spiritual gift devoid of love, without love, makes that spiritual gift, the expression of it, invalid, void. No spiritual regard or divine regard rather from the Lord himself. So Paul would say, even if I give my body to be burned and I have not love, guess what? The frightening thing is, you can even give your body to be burned without love. Right? What he's saying is, if I give my body to be burned, I have not love, I am nothing. I am nothing. A non-entity in God's mind. So any spiritual thing, no matter how laudable, no matter how skillful in terms of gift operation, no matter how proficient you are in the exercise, for example, of your prophetic gift, if you are prophesying to people and if the expression of your spiritual ministry, even if it's giving your life for somebody else, if it's not motivated by love, Paul says, you are nothing. Right? I wrote on Facebook yesterday, based upon this thought, you have no right to minister to anybody that you do not love. The absence of love cancels the expression of your gift. Hmm? So what you should be focused upon in developing your your, your spiritual sonship. Come on, talk to me. What should you be focused on? Come on, say it like you mean it. Love. In the midst of all of this, Paul says, when I was a child, a nepios, an infant, Spoke, I thought, I reasoned as a child. But now that I have become a man, which is the teleos man, the mature, in context what he is saying, the expression of love is the depiction of maturity. Do not look even at the proficient, skillful administration of spiritual ministry and be mesmerized by that if there is no love attendant with it. All, is, all Paul is saying, you can be highly proficient in the gifts, lack love, you are nothing from God's perspective. And Paul, in essence, is classifying you, there goes a child. Right? There goes a child. So now I'm not no more impressed by your revelation. The thing God reveals to you. No more impressed by how skillful you are in expressing your talent, be it prophecy, healing, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, be it ministry, be it teaching, these things no longer impress us. Tell your neighbor, these things no longer impress us. What I'm not saying is they're not important. Please, you must, you must find own your skill. You must develop your, your proficiency in the thing God called you to because that is what Paul instructed Timothy. What we are now looking for is, is does everything flow with love? I'm looking for not the childish. For me, that's childlike. Anybody can develop something, a skill in, in, in the spirit. For me, that's not impressive. For me, do you remember in Samuel, it's coming to me now, 
When Samuel prophesied with the prophets coming down the mountain, remember? Right? Uh, not Samuel, Saul, King Saul. And he's a king, not a prophet. But he was, because he was amongst prophets, spirit of prophecy came upon him and he, he prophesied. Right? With great skill, expertise, and proficiency. But the Bible says there was a man there. And this gentleman is unnamed. Given no name. He just asked one question. He's not impressed by the fact that Saul is prophesying as the other. In fact, there became, they came a proverb in Israel saying, is Saul also among the prophets? It was the big thing. Did you hear Saul is prophesying? And then tucked away after that, the Bible says, and a certain man was there and he asked, but who is their father? Right? In this man's mind, the, if you cannot locate your spiritual father as the source from which your, the expression of your spiritual ministry flows and emanates. So no matter how powerful that ministry, it's declared invalid in the spirit. Because it's not, it does not emanate from not just, the, not just the source of a spiritual father, or one who provides you nourishment and oversight in the Lord, but the real heart of father is what? Love. He wasn't just asking, identify your spiritual father. He was wanting to know, is all of this prophesying motivated and characterized by the heart depictive of a father in the Lord, which is love. I can see you becoming the most loving bunch in Durban. Hmm? Even if you come early to church, let me say this, you can give your body to be burned and have not love, it's nothing. Even if you come early to church without love, it's nothing. Whatever you do, we are now not just looking at the externality and judging it. We're looking at the, the internal motivation of the heart. And guess what the Lord is giving me now? X-ray eyes. Now we're not just looking at the correct posture. Right? Is what you're doing motivated by the spirit of love? Because that is the, the nature of the Father. Let me just finish this. Now, so, so therefore, um, what should the Nepios son do, based on this scripture, to get out of this? Like I've said, develop and excel in love as a priority and ensure that any expression of giftedness or ministry is motivated by sincere love for those for whom the ministry is intended. Okay? One last reference. This you're going to have to turn to. Or rather, I won't mention this now because of time. What, what I just want to... Let me just do it. You can take five minutes. Okay, it's Friday night. When you were in the world, there was no limit to how far you went. With time, maybe it... And it's only now 20 past 8, so we're fairly early. But turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. Hebrews 5 and verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need that someone teach you again what? The... First principles. Everyone say first principles. The first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need of milk and not solid food. 
Now remember in 1 Peter 2, 2, he says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you might grow thereby. So anything milky um, is, is something elementary in the word, basic things, that you feed babes so that they can start to grow. So Paul is saying, well, not Paul, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, nobody knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. The writer of the book of Hebrews saying, listen carefully, everyone say by this time, so you've been in the kingdom for a long time. So the writer of the book of Hebrews says, hey, I know you've been a while, around for a while. I have now an expectation upon you to judge where you are based upon how long you've been here. He says, by this time, you ought to have been what? Teachers. Teaching. But now, he says, you have need that someone teach you again the basic principles of the, of the articles of God. And he says, I can't even give you meat at this stage because you still need milk. You still need something basic, something fundamental, something elementary. And then he says this in verse 13. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he is still a nepios. When are you still a nepios? When you are unskilled in the word of righteousness. And you cannot receive solid food or weightier, meatier issues of doctrine. Verse 13, verse 14 says, But solid food belongs to those who are full age, the mature. To those who by reason of use. Everyone say reason of use. Those who by constant employment of their spiritual faculties, their discernment. It says they have trained their senses to discern both good and, and evil. So what, what is the writer saying here? By this time you ought to have been teachers, but you have need again that someone again teaches you the basic principles of the articles of, of, of God. And then he says, uh, everyone who partakes of milk, he classifies a milk drinker. You're only drinking milk, basic things of the word. Can't go to the higher things in God. He says, if you are there, then Paul would say, or the writer of the book of Hebrews would say, you are unskilled in the word. The word unskilled is inexperienced. Inexperienced or untrained. You are untrained, unskilled in the, the word of righteousness. But... You want meat, you want solid food. Solid food is only for the mature. And what is the mature? It says those who by reason of... The word uses in the Greek is habit. They formed a habit in their life. It's regular, it's daily, it's gone. It's consistent. They're always in the word of righteousness. Everyone do this. Okay. In other words, he um, says to get to this mature stage, you can't have these spates where... One week you're loving the word, you're in it, then there's a lull in your life. And then you hear a word of encouragement, you're back on track. What the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying to these Hebrew Christians, he's saying, stop this erratic nature. He says, if you want to break out of this infancy, start to train yourself to become skillful in the word of righteousness. Everyone say the word. Right? In other words, you must be, Paul would say, rightly divide the word of Truth, you know, rightly divide the word of truth. And let me just say this. This is not just the ability 
to handle the word and to understand it. Because you see, he could have said the word. But he said the word of righteousness. What is righteousness? Remember we said it's the it's doing right what is in God's eyes. We are positionally righteous. We are the righteousness of God in Christ by acceptance of Christ as our Lord and Savior. But he who is righteous, first John would say, must practice righteousness. So you are still a babe, even though sometimes you have access to meteor things. But we don't see the fruit of righteousness in your life. The word of righteousness has not become in incarnate in your in your life. Hence you are still a babe. And then in verse 6, he says, Therefore, now there were no chapters division, chapter divisions in the original text. Right? Theologians added chapters and verses so we can make sense as we read. So when you read this, you must read this as one uh, continuum. So he says, he says, solid food belongs to those who are full age, who by reason of use, say it again, by habit. That's why it must be a habit. Habit, 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 habit. Uh, for you, you must naturally gravitate towards studying the scriptures. I picked Lucia from a hotel this afternoon. And I couldn't be with, uh, pick up earlier, so I asked, I know you had to wait for me. You're waiting in the hotel foyer. What did you do for two hours? She said, well, I had time. I do what we do, she said. I said, you studied the word? She said, yeah. It's like, it was time to kill. Hotel room, foyer. Pulled up my iPad. She had one of my manuals with her. She said, I studied for two hours. What is that? That's not an infant in Christ. That's telling me this is a mature person. They're doing things by regular use. You know, all the time. How is your personal engagement with the word going? Come on, talk to me. Amen? Are you still loving the word? Is God's word still your delight? How's your meditation going, by the way? Six sessions we've done meditation. Is your mind filled with thoughts from his word? Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all of the day. Then verse 6, chapter 1 starts, Therefore leaving the elementary principles of the doctrine of Christ, he says, let us go on unto perfection. Not laying again. Then he lists six doctrines. Not laying again. The doctrine of repentance from dead works. Faith towards God. The doctrine of baptisms. Many baptisms. The doctrine of baptisms. Um, laying on of hands. Eternal judgment and Sixthly, the resurrection from the dead. Those six doctrines are fundamental. They are basic. That is food for infants. It means, do you know what? If you haven't mastered those six doctrines, possibly there's a crack or you are, you are um, what's the word? Not well disposed to go on to maturity. Because you haven't covered some basic things in your experience. We will cover because he says, let's leave that and go on to perfection. He lists them. And I like what he says in verse 3. He says, but this we will do if God permits. In other words, we'll cover them again should the Lord permit. Right? But let me just say this. Uh, the, the elementary doctrines, 
we will cover again to ensure that everybody here just not just understands it, but that you're living it. Right? You're living it. Repentance from dead works, faith towards God, all the baptisms, water baptism, Holy Spirit baptism, baptism into the body of Christ, baptism into suffering. Right? The laying of hands. How do we understand that? The resurrection from the dead. That doctrine. Eternal judgment. That doctrine. I mean, just that doctrine alone of eternal judgment will cause you to live so holy and right in God. Faith is an elementary doctrine. We should have mastered faith by now. Both in understanding and in our practice of it. Amen? So, the nepios then must break out of this, this, this phase by developing a deep love for doctrine. Everyone say love doctrine. Love the word. Engage in the study and practice of the word with great consistency. It says those, I want to drum this into your spirit. Listen church. Those who by reason of use. Everyone say by reason of use. I feel out of sorts if for one day I don't open my scriptures. Not just to read, to study intensely. Right? And the thing you focus upon, you become skillful at. You know, last week we were on assignment. And uh, those who were with us will testify. Listen carefully. I didn't plan, I didn't plan anything. I found it difficult to to discern the mind of God for a focused area. I knew what I was going to do on the Friday evening because there was a worship team. There were worship teams from all over Johannesburg that came, very good representation. And we spoke to them about the new demand for that. But on Saturday morning, it was leadership development. And there were leaders from various churches gathered there. All leaders, elders, deacons, or people in lead, or pastors. And I had no idea. And... This happened on that morning and the next day, on the Sunday morning. Right? And it's like, as I began to speak, the Lord gave definition. And guess what? One of the studies on peace for the seed was used by the Lord on the Sunday morning that proved to be for that house such a critical word where relationships in the house began to be mended. Now guess what? I recall laboring over that doctrine in my mind. Right? About two or three years ago. Studying it. Making it part of me. And guess what? You are like, this is like my training ground. Right? You're like guinea pigs here. This is the laboratory. I say it in, in, in a good way. Because you're the first two here. Right? And sometimes when I travel, the Lord would say, pull out that. And even though I might have notes with me, it's amazing how things will just, will just come back and God God's word prevails. Why are we able to do that? Everyone say, by reason of use. You want to be powerfully used by God. At least give God something to work with. Jesus said, the Spirit will bring back to your remembrance everything that I have said. But He can't bring back that which you haven't heard. You've got to engage for Him to activate it again. Not so? Right? So this is one who stands as a mature son and breaks out of, out of, out of, out of 
childishness. Amen. Childishness. Um, what I want to encourage you also, the Nepios, you must seek to master the basic doctrines of Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. And then start also to exercise your spiritual discernment with greater regularity. Don't be passive about this. Lastly, just to end this, um, I want to focus on 1 Corinthians 13. You have it in your notes there. We just read it a while ago. Paul said this, When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I, what? I put away childish things. Now, everyone do, do this, just hold something like, make like you're holding something. I said, do this. Now, tell your neighbor, put away. Put away. Right? This is the idea in the Greek. The word is kartagio. Everyone say kartagio. Put away the childish thing. It's a violent, conscious, deliberate, reducing. The word means, let me read to you what the word means. To render something idle. To render something totally inoperative. Right? To deprive a thing of its force or influence. To cause it to cease. To put an end to. To annul. To abolish. To be severed from something or to be separated from it. To terminate intercourse with. One, one Greek uh, dictionary says, to reduce to a place of total inactivity. To make it redundant. So what, what does Paul say? You must put away, reduce to a place of total inactivity, make it idle, make it non-effective, take away its force, take away any childish thought, behavior in your life. And the Bible says, reduce it to total inactivity. But when do you do this? He says, when I became a man, I did that. There are certain things, listen carefully, in your quest to grow in God that you will naturally outgrow. Hmm? I don't spend more time watching television than God's Word. The time is important. And it's important for me how I spend my, how I spend my time now. Because I'm not getting any younger. And I know there's still much to do in God's purposes. So I want to encourage you. Um, while I was speaking, I'm sure the Holy Ghost has shared with you in your own life some childish tendencies, behaviors, or even ways of thinking. All I'm saying to you, brethren, take it in. Cartagio it. It's like a karate, it sounds like karate. Cartagio. Give it a karate chop. And say, I reduce you childish behavior. Your childish way of thinking, reasoning, right? The murmur, the backbiting, the jealousy, uh, the divisions, the tensions, the lack, the lack for the love for the word of the Lord, the inconsistency. I reduce you to a place of inactivity in my life. Why? I'm determined to access my inheritance. For so long as I'm a child in Nepios, I am no different from a slave in God's kingdom. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. But now I have cartagioed childish things. Put away the childish things. And become mature. Be mature. Amen. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. Father, we pray, Lord, that we would mature in you. Remove from us every childish tendency, every inclination, every proclivity towards the, the, the childish thing that displeases you. Things where we are still fleshly. Reduce that to inactivity. Take away its force and power in our lives. We want to leave that position and proceed toward maturity in you. We want, to, we want to journey to a place where we can sense day to day, I am becoming more mature. I can tell by my responses. I know by how I think differently. On the same situation I would think upon even two or ten years ago. Now I'm thinking differently. I'm behaving differently. I'm maturing in you. And we can sense in our spirit the echo and the pleasure of our Heavenly Father with us. We thank you that you have saved us, that we're no longer under the elemental things of this world. You send your spirit into our hearts whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Father, how we thank you that you have made us heirs, joint heirs with your Son, our Lord Jesus. Sonship is given to us graciously by your hand. Help this child to grow up. Help me to grow up. Help all of us to mature. For Father, we want the things that you have planned for us. The inheritance you've given to us is ours to grasp. Hurt any longer through childish expressions. We ask that you would help us by your grace. Set our hearts. Let's lift up our hands to the Lord. The lifting up of our hands tonight, Father, is an indication of how we set our hearts on these things. No more tension, no more strife, no more division, no more murmur, no more complaint, no more vacillation in your word, no more uh, backbiting. But uh, I pray especially an overwhelming development in the love of God. Let us be baptized in simple love toward all men, especially to the house of the Lord. So we pray that we would receive this grace that will aid our maturity in you, Father. In Jesus' precious name.